Welcome to In Check with Fintech. This week we have Roberta Valerio, an experienced entrepreneur who founded Payla, a true white label buy now pay later solution provider for European financial institutions. He's a well-known name in the risk and payment space and has worked with Otto Group and Vodafone. He shares his insights on how to build software startups from the first product idea into scalable, sales-oriented product companies and the complexities of the buy now pay later space. Enjoy listening. I think you are a well-known person within the payment space, but for those listeners who have never heard of you, can you maybe give a bit of an introduction on the person, Roberto, who you are and your background? Sure. Um, my name is Roberto, Roberto Valerio. I'm 48 years old. Um, well, I spent a couple of years of my professional life building uh, software startups. Uh, within the last eight years, this was uh, mainly in risk management um, for payment. So I um, started a company for the Otto Group, uh, which is the largest European e-commerce player uh, next to Amazon. Uh, I built uh, a risk um, management software startup for them uh, called Riskadent. Company is still alive, up and running. Mm -hmm. Then um, I started another business with a couple of people um, from Riskadent uh, called Risk42. Uh, and we built uh, a software platform for credit scoring. Um, that company was uh, sold uh, last year to a company called uh, Heidelpay, now Unser. It's uh, a KKR investment, and I left that company end of um, last year, and I'm now within my third startup within the payment and risk world. Uh, this time it's called Payla, and Payla is a, a BNPL white label um, software startup. Um, yeah, we're building a BNPL as a service uh, for financial institutions and for payment service providers. Great, we'll talk about that a bit more. But before I ask that, so you, you're basically on your third uh, startup now, you're what some call a serial entrepreneur. Has that always been in your blood, in your background, in your upbringing, that kind of entrepreneurship or where does it come from? Well, I don't know. To be honest, I, I hate that expression, serial entrepreneur, <laughs> because uh, it sounds like it's something you planned, you know, when you were young in school, you were already, I don't know, uh, trying to get the money of your schoolmates. That wasn't me, to be honest. Um, I guess I founded five, five software startups by now, um, and it wasn't really planned. Um, I, I started, um, well... Sometimes I had to start something new simply because the old one did not work. And sometimes I had to start something new because um, I sold it and I wasn't the right person to, to move forward within, a, within the sold startup. So I had um, both. I had some successes with my startups and I had some failures. Um, in general, I think if you look at the type of persons that usually run startups, there are the builders and there are the managers. And I guess I'm, I'm a builder. So I like to create things. I like the chaos at the beginning of a project or a company, you know, when you have to juggle with 20 different topics and you have to do all the crazy stuff. And after a couple of months, it's like a big puzzle. After a couple of months, you realize that, you know, if it's working out well, then the puzzle pieces get somehow connected. And at some point you get a picture of, or you realize the full picture of, um, of the business. And that's something which I really like. So I guess it's more, um, being creative, gathering some, some smart people around you, trying to pull off something new. 
but I wouldn't call it serial entrepreneur. I wouldn't even call it uh, a very entrepreneurial spirit. Uh, it's more out of curiosity and it's more of, you know, being able to tinker around with new ideas and, you know, and, and see how you can make them work. I think I'm, that's, that's probably better in characterizing my, my person. You love to build. That's for sure. By the sounds of it. I, I love that. Is it addictive as well? Maybe building, starting startups or. I guess it is. Um, I'm getting rather old, uh, you know, with 48, I'm probably not, not the youngest founder anymore, especially with Pela, but I have to admit that this time we we have five founders and I have a, a great, quite uh, quite senior team of, uh, as, as co-founders this time. So, you know, um, I'm realizing I probably don't have the same speed that I had 20 years ago when I started uh, my first couple of startups, but um, experience can, you know, can cover the lack of speed or the lack of, of, of youth that you bring um, um, into these into these projects, and let's be honest. Um, I think there was a, a study at some point. Uh, it's it has an advantage if you bring in some experience, especially if you bring in some bad experience as well. Uh, you don't have to do you know every mistake twice. Um, and this is what we're trying with Paler as well. We've been um, we, we gathered some some people out of the BNPL space, some veterans out of the BNPL space to build this new company, to build this new product. And I'm realizing it's um, extremely helpful that all of these people already spent a couple of years, at least, you know, with, within payment, uh, within the BNPL space. Um, it's amazing how much you can achieve with a, with a seasoned team in a very short amount of time if everyone in the team knows exactly what you want to build and they bring in the experience to, uh, to deliver on that. Uh, so far, I have to admit, it's, um, it has been quite, quite interesting. And we just started a couple of months ago, but it's, uh, it's amazing what speed you can pick up when you have, when you have a good team. Yeah. And probably that's, let's be honest, I think that's one of the key success factors as well. Um, especially at the beginning of a startup, it's hiring the right people. And I cannot stress that enough, um, especially with the first five, 10, 15 hires, or, or especially with the co-founders that you're that you're looking for um you can spend too little time on that i think it's it's one of the key success factors it's interesting so it's hiring the experience straight away basically rather than maybe having a good idea starting with it and then having to hire the people uh, now you already have the people in place with whom you can already have the idea and then start to hire a team around you yes i i did both I mean, at some point I started, once I started with a startup and I had very low budget. So I, I basically required, uh, that was within the auto group. And the first people I hired for the startup were people out of, out of university. So we didn't have a lot of, we didn't have a lot of seniority in the team. We didn't have a lot of experience and it worked out well, but uh, we were on a completely different pace. So the speed of the startup was quite slow because we had to learn a lot of what we were doing. Mm -hmm. um, but we didn't have enough budget to, to accelerate it. Now with the company we're building now, uh, we're well-funded. Uh, we have great business angels behind the company um, and we decided for speed. And at that moment, you really have to decide for, for one way or the other. And this time, we the whole hiring strategy we have at Paler is hiring top-down. 
which is quite unusual because with the, I always try to be very cap capital efficient beforehand with my startups. And this time we're really going for speed and it costs you more and you need venture capital behind it. It's not that you can bootstrap that way because it's quite expensive, but it's interesting to see how much quicker you get to certain milestones and how much quicker you can build up the team uh, when you start hiring top-down. And we're reala realizing now already that we have quite a lot of inbound interest from people joining us, even if there's not a lot of information out um, on, on the web about our business, but people are realizing who are, who are the people behind the business and uh, if you have a good team in place, you can always hire good people. Um, and that's a big success factor. So, so the first people defined, the first people you have in your team are gonna define who are gonna be the next people. And they're gonna define who are gonna be the next people. And if you start on a very high quality level, it makes it so much easier to, to hire new people. Um, that's what we are realizing now. Yeah, good people follow good people or good people wanna work with good people. That kind of principle, right? Yes, and I'm happy that my co-founders are way smarter than I am, so <laughs> we can deliver on that promise as well. <laughs> you complement each other in multiple ways, I'm sure. Um, yeah, let's talk a bit about Payla. So like you said, there's not a, lot, not, a lot, not a lot to find on the internet. I mean, there's literally one page, payla.de, which is just uh, yeah, com coming soon. Um, on the news, there's also not a lot to find. Um, can you talk a bit more about Pela, how far are you maybe in terms of product development? Are you live? When are you going live? Uh, yeah, enlighten us a bit. Yes, we, we thought about the approach, to be honest, how, how we want to present ourselves, especially early stage. And we realized um, there's a lot of hype within the market at this moment, within the startup market, within the fintech market, especially within the BNPL space, within the fintech space as well. Uh, we've seen crazy funding rounds, in, in my opinion, crazy funding rounds for the BNPL space. We've seen funding rounds based on announcements. Um, I think we're trying to take a little bit different approach to this because uh, we know this space. We know exactly what we want to build. It's, it's as I said, a BNPL as a service uh, product. It's a white label product. So we don't need that much attention from the market. We just need attention from the players within the, within the market. And we know them quite well because um, from my experience, I uh, being from, from risk management, I spend a lot of time selling software and working with some of the largest BNPL players. If it was Otto or Zalando or BillPay, which is now paid of Klarna, RayPay was a customer of ours. Um, Universum, uh, Payolution. We know most of the, 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 the names within the BNPL space and we know exactly what we're building. So we really try to keep it very low key on, on the, on the self-marketing side. Um, but in general, we are, we are on track in building the product. The product is gonna be finished uh, end of March next year. We're going to be live with the first transactions probably before summer next year. So there's a clear plan and there's a clear execution plan for um, how we're going to build the product, where we're going to implement it, who are going to be the first pilot customers. The refinancing partners are already set in place uh, and we are now hiring the team. Um, at this stage, we probably from the 30 
people in relevant positions uh, within the company structure. We probably hired 17 people already, 17, 18 people. Mm -hmm. So we're well within, within our own planning in terms of building the team, in terms of building the product, in terms of getting the refinancing partners implemented and the pilot customers. And these are the success factors that we identified. And so far we have been great on track. Um, I think for the big announcement, that's gonna be end of March when we're launching the product. Um, and that's something which I, that's something which I learned uh, from personal experience within the payment market, uh, within the payment startup world, there are a lot of announcements, but at some point payment is such an important part of the processing. If you're looking at e-commerce, if you're looking at commerce in general, it's not about announcement, you know, it's not about, oh, this product, you know, it's announced and it's not working. You need working products within payment. You need working products within risk management. I mean, we sold a risk software solution to companies like Vodafone or Deutsche Telekom within one of my old companies. You can't go in their business with a product which is not functional. And it's the same with the BNPL product we're building now. This product has to work from the first minute. So we're rather being short on announcements right now. We just want to make sure that the product is really up and running uh, and scalable the moment we, we go live with it because um, some larger payment companies are going to rely on this product. And this product is going to have their name on it and not our name on it. So they won't even be able to blame us if it's not working because it's going to be a white label product. We have to make sure you know, that it's... it's um, part of, of, of their offering and that it has the same quality that these payment companies are already offering their customers today. Yeah. So we take it really seriously. Um, and BNPL, it's a quite a frictionless product in terms of how you how the end consumer is 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 aware of it and how the merchant is implementing it. It's you know it's supposed to be a frictionless product. That's the beauty of BNPL products. You know, you just give a name, an address, probably an email, a phone number. And then you can buy whatever, a laptop for a couple of thousand euros or, you know, fashion articles, uh, high value brands, um, just on trust. So what you really need, you know, to do it frictionless, you need to be able to uh, do a proper risk assessment. You have to be sure that you have a, a proper uh, debtor management, you know, that you, can, um, that you can process the payments that you get from the end consumers, you know, frictionless. Uh, you have to make sure that the refinancing part works that you're able you know, to refinance the, um, the products that you're handing out. Uh, the merchant wants to make sure it's a frictionless product. The end consumer wants to make sure it's, you know, he has a, a frictionless experience. Um, and the complexity on the other side of these BNPL products, it's quite high. I mean, we know how these products sometimes simply do not work. I don't want to mention certain cases, but uh, we have seen on the market as well that that some of these products you know or some aspects of these products sometimes don't work um and and this is something we're really working hard on that we that we make sure that that our product delivers a very good experience for the end consumer for the merchant and for the payment providers that are going to use our products within with their name on it makes total sense yeah what what makes it because i mean the 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 fact that it that buy now pay later is so frictionless is part of the reason why I li like it so much and use it so often. Um, the complexity is probably on your side or on the PSP side. Um, it's not necessarily for a consumer because all they do is just click uh, pay later and they pay the invoice and that's about it. But the complexity starts with getting that refinancing done in the right way, making sure the technology works. Is that right? 
I guess the most complex part of it is, is the risk management. Mm. And three out of the five founders of Paler are from risk management, me included, for a simple reason, because it has to be a, a commercially viable product. Uh, yes, we know BNPL, there are BNPL companies out there that, that are writing huge losses at this moment, but at some point you want to earn money and everybody has to earn money. The refinancing partner has to earn money. The payment service provider wants to earn his commission. Uh, us as the BNPL provider, but other names within the BNPL space, of course, as well. And the merchant doesn't want to pay a high discount on this product. So every, every side has to, has to make money on it. And for that, you need a clear strategy and, and, and a lot of operational experience within risk management. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest topic for us because what we realized working for payment companies as well, it's a completely different ball game if you have a credit card transaction and you're trying to look for fraud uh, within a credit card transaction or if you're trying to look for fraud within a BNPL space because you have so little touch points that you can address to make sure you know, that you're not hit by fraud. Um, there's a lot of uh, topics like identity theft or synthetic identities. There are a lot of topics that you have to cover, especially within fraud. It's not so much the credit worthiness. That's a topic that is quite well solved in a lot of countries, especially on the German speaking countries. In France, of course, it's a little bit more difficult. There are, there are countries in Europe where you don't have a lot of credit information. Um, there, it's still a topic, but uh, the more dominant um, risk that you have within these BNPL models is, is basically fraud. And this is something which you have to address, which is quite tough within the BNPL space. And this, that's one of the key aspects of every solution. And the second one, of course, is um, automatizing the processing of these, um, of these BNPL payments, because you, you, <laughs> you wouldn't be able to guess how much can, can be wrong just getting the payments from the end consumers. Some people are overpaying, some are underpaying, some are not paying at all. Some people are using the wrong, um, uh, the wrong reference number. Mm. Uh, some are combining payments, some are splitting them up. Um, there's a lot of things that can go wrong, especially you know, after the purchase is already made, after the goods are already delivered, then you have people returning goods and not telling you. Then you, there, there are a lot of things that can go wrong. And this is all, quite costly on the, on the payment processing side. So you need someone who's able to address this, someone who knows how to build these processes um, at, at a very, very efficient cost ratio, because otherwise you're gonna pay for it. Yeah. And then the merchant at some point is gonna pay for it. And then you, know, you become less attractive as a payment method to the merchant. So the merchant wants to offer BNPL products, but he doesn't want to offer them on a high commission or on a high discount rate. And that's something where, where um, there's still quite a lot of movement in the industry. On the other side, the BNPL products are still the ones where from a payment perspective, from a payment service provider perspective, you still earn most of the commission. If you look at a credit card transaction or within, within the Netherlands, you know, ideal whatsoever, um, as a payment processor, you don't have high um, commissions or high, um, high margins on these products anymore. And the margins are constantly under pressure. BNPL margins for, for payment processor are still quite important, especially on the bottom line. We've, uh, we've discussed this with some payment processors and it's, um, it's interesting to see how the significance of the bottom line of the EBT of uh, BNPL for a payment processor as you know, within the whole payment processing mix that he has. So it's, 
it's um, it's an attractive and it's an important part of the payment mix for any for any payment process. So, I mean, first of all, it sounds like in the front, it might be a buy now, pay later company uh, or any buy now, pay later company might be that. And in the back, it's more of a risk management company with uh, just a ton of automation. Um, you talk about that high margins as well. Why is it if it's so complex? Why is there such a big hype within the buy now, pay later space at the moment? There's companies popping up left, right and center. What's the big hype about despite its complexity? Is it the high margins? I guess there's a, there are a couple of topics that you could touch and um, I don't have an exhaustive list now. I mean, we do have it, but you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm not gonna bore you now, um, but there's some aspects of it. First of all, there are markets where buy now, pay later is not known. And let's be honest, buy now, pay later was invented in Germany I guess 70 years ago by the Otto Group, which was one of the companies I was building a, a startup for. So I know the Otto Group quite well. They started with this, I think, 70 years ago that people could buy something and then they would repay it by installments. And um, it's not the usual credit. It's really in what you call in Germany, Absatzfinanzierung. There's like a loophole where you, you know, if you're buying something, you can get a credit which is tied to the purchase you're doing. For that, you don't need, uh, you don't have the same high legal standards in Germany that you would have for, for uh, a credit, for a loan. So, you know, you don't need a written contract, you know, you don't need uh, some kind of identification. You can, you know, just hand out this, this money because it's tied to a purchase. And this is, this model already exists for 70 years in Germany. And I, was, I didn't even know 10, 20 years ago that this model doesn't exist in other countries. And that it's not usual in other countries. And you have countries where credit card is uh, the predominant payment method, like uh, the US, the UK, France. Um, and for them, this payment method seems to be quite new, especially if you look at the, at the cost of the credit cards. If you look in the US, you know, you have double digit um, annual uh, interest rates on these products. And by now, pay later is, is, is still, from the financing perspective, not a really cheap product, but it's still a lot less expensive than having um, recurring payments on your credit, on your open or on your outstanding credit card bill. And that's how, you know, people, especially in the US or UK are usually financing their, uh, their purchases. So you're talking about, what is it called? APRs of probably 15, 16% within the buy now pay later space, you sometimes hit, let's say 10%. It can be 12% as well, but you know, in general, I think the, the interest rates for financing uh, purchases within BNPL are somehow lower than uh, with some of the, the typical um, spending credit cards you have in the US and the UK. And I think that created some hype. And some of the companies, especially in the US, are building on this, you know, as being the less expensive alternative to a credit card. Yeah. Um, but that's not the case. That's not the case in, in, in a couple of European countries, um, especially in the German speaking markets. For their, their BNPL is, is, is well known. There it's more, it's a well-known payment method. Can you adapt this payment method to other um, verticals? Because this payment method is used within e-commerce, it's used within fashion predominantly, it's being used with furniture, it's being used with some, some larger um, shopping cart purchases. But you know, some companies are addressing the travel space now. Some companies are addressing recurring payments or, or, or digital payments. There's a lot of movement, you know, how can you adapt this existing payment method, which is quite frictionless and quite riskless for, them, for the end consumer, 
um, how can you use these payment methods within other within other payments? And I think one of the newest trends is um, to move all of this BNPL knowledge, or all of these um, all of this this checkout processes for the uh, how can you adapt this to, to the B two B market, um, which is a huge market. Uh, which is a complex market as well, but this is, you know, something uh, some companies, some startups are trying to address now. So there's a lot of space that you can grow into. And in Europe, of course, with all the markets that are not used to be in PL products. And I think there are some large markets, whatever, France and Spain and Italy, Poland. Um, there are some, some big markets that, that are ripe to, being, to be addressed. And there are some big players now. I mean, you've seen um, some, some large funding rounds in France um for the buy now pay later space and we are we are very interested to see you know how the, how this is going to work um, so it's the it's the industries basically where there's huge potential and room for growth still because there's indus industries in general like travel for example is not that tapped into that much there's countries which might not be adopting uh, buy now pay later to its fullest potential yet uh, which means that there's a big pie basically still to share across different uh, Companies, but it, it sounds like in order to be successful, in order to launch in more countries, in order to launch in more industries, you need more capital, right? At Fourthline, we use tech for good. We build products that have a major and long-lasting impact on the online financial ecosystem. We leverage a highly automated KYC product with a core of machine learning technologies, making us the most reliable fraud detection platform for KYC. As a product lead, you will take responsibility for an entire product suite in one of our critical verticals. Interested? Reach out to Tom Franken. Email in the description below. Yes, it depends a little bit how you're building the business. Um, we started. We, we're going to start in the German-speaking markets because we have a, um, a large network there. We have our first um, pilot customers on the German-speaking markets. We have uh, a refinancing partner which will cover the refinancing cost. So for us, it's going to be the starting point and it's the lowest hanging fruits being a, a team that has a lot of experience on, on, on the German speaking markets. But of course, we're looking into other markets as well. I think the markets, it's an interesting space to grow into, but I think every market has to be addressed completely different. So the software platform is going to be quite similar, but even the accounting practices are a little bit different. The risk management practices are sometimes completely different because the, the, the data sources are different. In Germany, you have very high standard in terms of um, uh, credit scoring. You have good credit uh, scoring companies, credit agencies that can give you high quality of, of information. You don't have that in a lot of countries in Europe. So um, it's going to be quite interesting to see. You know, the risk models are quite different from country to country. Um, and it's something that consumers have to learn. Consumers in Germany are used to buy now, pay later. Uh, they even require it. A lot of shops, you know, they're, they're going to abandon the shopping part when they're not getting offered the Kauf auf Rechnung. Um, in France, everybody's used to a credit card number. So in France, you even have to educate the end consumers to use this product. They have to understand it. You know, there's, there's an educational part of it. Um, in Germany, where there's, there, there, there's, no, there's probably no one who, who doesn't know these products. So... Um, there's a different um, maturity in terms of the markets. And it's gonna be really interesting to see how quickly are these markets gonna to adapt to this new product. In the Netherlands, I think you have an exceptional high uh, rate of ideal payments. I'm not sure these payments are gonna to shift to buy now pay later solutions, but we're gonna see. 
So it's really interesting to see how quickly these markets are going to evolve. Uh, in general, let's be honest, I think in general, the markets within Europe are going to grow substantially with BNPL. So it's going to be a really interesting market. But in some markets, you're going to be really early stage with your products. And in some markets, you know, you, you, you have mature uh, competition that you have to that you have to work with. What, what do you think is the most exciting development that you see now in the buy now pay later space? You talked about B2B or at least uh, BNPL being adopted or being applied to the B2B space. Do you feel that's the most exciting development where there is the most potential or do you, some, do you see something else that is very interesting? Well, I think it's interesting to see how um, there are a couple of aspects who are interesting to, to, to watch. First of all, the, um, Within the UK, there was a lot of um, there was there was a lot of growth within the BNPL uh, space. Now they have a discussion already, and I think they have the same discussion in the Nordics already about people overspending. So I think there's going to be, I think there there are going to be some changes from the regulatory aspects of 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 buy now pay later products, and I think um, they're going to be yes. The, the whole discussion about people overspending and people uh, getting into debt by BNPL products. It's not something which we only see in the Nordics, something which we see in the UK. The Germans are quite used to BNPL. So I don't see a, a large shift, you know, if uh, because it's, it's as a payment method, it's already quite, quite understood. But it's really interesting to see how, how new markets like Spain, Portugal, France, you know, how they're going to adapt to this and how the regulatory bodies are going to adapt to this topic. Um, what else? I think there's going to be a shift from credit card payments to buy now, pay later uh, payments. Um, so it's really interesting to see how the card schemes are going to react to this BNPL space. And you already see them buying themselves into the market, um, buying companies out of the BNPL space, trying to adapt their own card offerings to, um, uh, to buy now, pay later, alike um, installment payments. I think there's going to be some, some movement, you know, how, how credit card payments are going to adapt to these kind of new payment methods. Um, there are wallets. I mean, there is Apple Pay, Google Pay. There are a lot of all of these payment methods are going to adapt somehow. And the buy now pay later space is not something you can see, you know, completely out of the picture to all the other payment methods. So it's, it's, it's really interesting to see how these things are going to change. But for me, it's interesting to see how even banks are starting to, to label their products, uh, their credit products now with, with a BNPL tag on it. So you look at Monzo or Revolut and they're telling you, yes, we have a buy now, pay later product, which is basically nothing else than, than handing over a credit or a loan to, 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 their, to their bank customers. And it's from a, from a technical perspective, it's a loan. It doesn't have to do something with what I would call buy now, pay later payment. But still, you know, the, the, you, you cannot look at, 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 at one space without, you know, uh, seeing changes within the other space. So it's, it's interesting to see how this, um, everything is kind of converging and adapting to this, to this new trend. But by now, pay later, as we see it, as a very simple and very frictionless payment method, which is not connected to a bank account, which is not connected to a wallet or to a login, um, which is really kind of a, a, a payment method in the checkout based on trust um, to, the, to the consumer. 
um, I think that's 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 it's it's still a very compelling and a very interesting payment product, and I think it's going to grow in terms of um, in terms of percentage of of the market. Sounds like it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is that because so you mentioned that there's regulation basically that is currently development withholding people from overspending or at least trying to control that by the government of it not happening too much and basically building up that debt. Uh, there's a shift to buy now, pay later when it comes to kind of the payment methods, specifically towards credit cards. There's banks now packaging it more and more. They're lending products as buy now, pay later. Are these developments uh, where I'm trying to go to is you choosing to become a wide label provider rather than just another in between high brackets uh, buy now pay later solution is that because of these developments that you said we're going to wide offer a wide label solution offer it to psps who can then white label it in their own name or why did you choose to go down that route because there's not that many companies who do this i think i i, I know it's um it's <laughs> it's quite simple um First of all, I had some payment uh, companies as customers within risk management. And I realized that when we were discussing risk management or fraud prevention within credit card payments, it was much easier to solve than um, with the BNPL providers. So the most demanding customers were the BNPL providers and not the payment companies. And now, when we realized that all of these payment companies uh, they feel the pressure on the margins, you know, for credit card transactions, for PayPal transactions, everything they're offering. So the BNPL is still a high margin product for them. Um, but a lot of these companies, they simply lack kind of the, the, the risk management expertise and the expertise in processing these payments later on um, to be able to offer really secured um, uh, installment and invoice products. Uh, we've seen some companies covering it, but it's sometimes it's, it's 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 unsecured payment so it's you know it's payment by invoice but uh, the risk stays within the merchant or uh, sometimes it's not working the way they expect it to work and we realized we have the expertise within the team we can provide this product it's part of the of 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 the mixture we've seen some of our large payment companies as well when we ask them what are you using now how how can you offer your merchants um uh, buy now, pay later uh, payment options. They said, well, you know, the bigger ones we send to RatePay and the smaller ones we send to Klarna. But Klarna is changing the game and it's doing it since a couple of years already. In my opinion, uh, Klarna is shifting to a marketplace. They're pushing the app, they're pushing, um, they're pushing the direct, uh, they're pushing it, they're addressing directly the end consumer already within the app, and they basically trying to decide where the customer is buying the goods. So they're not at the very end of the process anymore, just being a payment um, service uh, company for the merchant. They're basically asking the end consumers to go to the app, to look for the product they're trying to buy. And then Klarna is basically deciding within the app which merchant gets the business. And that's quite a risk for the merchant, but it's even a higher risk for the payment providers because the payment providers, um, they're, losing, they're losing the merchant. Um, Klarna is addressing the merchant and the end consumers directly. So every merchant that the payment provider is sending over to Klarna, even if it's just for the buy now pay later part, could end up being a dedicated Klarna customer at some point. And it's something which um, some people out of the payment service provider uh, industry already told us. They said like, well, 
We have to offer Klarna to our merchant customers because they want to have an invoice solution. We don't have an invoice solution. We can't build up the teams in a reasonable uh, amount of time. We have to send them over to Klarna, but we are afraid that Klarna is pushing their brand um, to the merchant, to the consumer. Uh, we're, losing, we're losing the merchant to Klarna. Um, and that's something where we spent some time with um, a year a year ago discussing this with some payment companies. And they said, yes, if we would have a, a, an alternative to, uh, to a strong cons uh, consumer brand, we would, uh, we would rather take, take a white label solution. So and there you have... Yeah. Sorry, go for it. There yes, but that's, uh, that's something we heard out of the industry. Uh, and this is something which, which we're trying to address. Yeah. Just basically giving control back of the eyeballs towards the PSPs and maybe even the merchants rather than to the payment methods in your example. Yes, I think it's, it's a fair game because Klarna, um, Klarna managed, if you look at the German speaking markets, Klarna managed to get quite a high market share with, with small and medium sized uh, merchants. And most of these merchants, uh, they came to Klarna because some uh, payment service provider introduced them to Klarna. They uh, made sure that you know they <coughs> they implemented Klarna as a solution, and um, now Klarna is addressing these merchants directly. And um, it's interesting to see if you look at the balance sheet of some of these payment service providers. Um, a lot of the, the the bottom line, a lot of the earnings they really have, is now going is is now um, uh, funneled via Klarna. So there is even a high dependency on, on these margins they're getting from Klarna. And this is something where we think that's, that's our proposition, that we, we offer a, a much clearer solution to the payment provider to make sure that he can protect his brand and he doesn't have to transport brands to his merchant customer because the acquisition cost, the, the cost of... of um, of servicing the merchant stays with the with the payment service provider yeah exactly very interesting so that's what you guys tried to do with payla now you just mentioned that right now you have 17 of the 30 people in place you're you're looking to go live in march is that what you're focusing on right now on that go live date being around end of march or is there something else that has first priority at the moment well hiring top talent and that's something why <laughs> we have more than this podcast uh, uh, to deal with. Um, no, I think it's it's um, it's really important. We we are not building uh, this. This is this is not going to stay an early stage startup for a very long time. And we have quite an aggressive growth plan for our business, and we have to because um, we are going to we are going to serve some of uh, some of the larger payment service providers within these uh, with these products and it's something where we have to make sure that we can achieve a certain level of, of quality for the product and for the services and it's an it's a full service solution so we really offer the complete product for us it's basically uh, the payment provider just has to uh, implement us within his um, uh, within his products and it's an API, pro it's, it's a product that can be based completely on API, so it can be completely branded by the payment service provider, it can be implemented into his backends that he's offering to the merchant, it can be uh, integrated with the merchant, completely white label. Um, 
But then basically we deliver all the services, which can be first level support, which can be second level support to the end consumers, uh, to the merchants, uh, of course, being integration partner to the payment service provider if he needs um, help in integrating with the merchants or within his own processes, um, we can uh, we can deliver the complete refinancing part uh, with the refinancing bank. So it's basically a, a complete solution, and we have to make sure that that it's working from from the first day. So um, it's not that we have. It's, it's a product which goes directly through the, to the end consumer and integrates within the end consumer, the merchant, the payment service provider, us and the refinancing partner. And all of these processes have to work from the first day. So um, it's not something which you can start and then realize that you have to adjust something. It has to start and to work. And that's something where, where um, I think we are, we are very good on track. Um, we have some people within the company that built this already, uh, a couple of these solutions, to be honest. Um, but still, you know, it's interesting to see if you start on a, on a completely green field and you start with a completely new solution. Of course, we're trying to bring in all our experience and all the failures that we had within the last years within other businesses. We really try to, to make sure that we don't, we don't, you know, make a mistake twice. And it's interesting to see, even the solution that we're building now is completely different to the solutions that the same people built a couple of years ago within other companies. Yeah. Because the market and the technology is progressing so fast. Um, I would say this is probably a completely next generation product already because um, the last products that were built on these markets are already a couple of years old, if not probably even 10 years old. And you can really tell that there is a, these products don't age well, let's be honest. <laughs> Definitely not. So it's great to hear how you kind of tackle that complexity and really solve that complexity issue that maybe PSPs are afraid of or what they see is a big hurdle with, with buy now, pay later. Uh, and you got an exciting journey uh, ahead of you. If people want to follow that journey, if people want to find out more about you, about Pela, uh, like I said, there's one page on Pela.de, but is there any other resources you recommend them to go to if they want to follow the journey? Well, if they're out of the space, uh, of course, they, <laughs> they can see. We, we, we have a couple of open positions and we're always happy, you know, to, to get good people onboarded. Um, on the other hand, there's not going to be too much new information within the next couple of months. There's going to be an update on the webpage probably end of December, you know, just to give you a little bit, a little bit more information about what we're building. But as I said, I mean, we're, we're working with large companies. These companies know who we are. Uh, we're already in contact with them. Um, so it's not that we need a lot of advertisement. Um, but to be honest, we are always on the lookout for smart people. So that's, I think, the most important. Um, that's the most important topic I would address now. If people really want to work within, let's say, uh, the next generation BNPL space, uh, they're happy, you know, to um, to send us their application. There are a couple of open positions on the web page, but if they think they can they can add value to our team, please apply. Um, there are two aspects of the solution. I think one is a lot of this payment processing, which is really interesting, which has a high complexity, which um, is really interesting from a software engineering side, but also from a from a from a uh, operational perspective. And we're building our own um, risk management solution as well. So, you know, if you want to venture into the risk um, 
risk management uh, software space and you don't want to go for you know one of these uh, risk management and fraud detection startups you can you can probably apply to us as well but this is something we're, we're building on our own behalf as our own in-house solution uh, that's probably not clear from the web page but you know if you're interested in risk management or fraud detection um, within e-commerce um, there are some open positions and you know you can you can work on one of the kind of next generation engines there as well. Great. No, oh, yeah, indeed. For the listeners who are interested, uh, there's uh, lots of hiring going on within uh, Payla. So feel free to reach out to Roberto directly. Or if you're up for a confidential chat, feel free to reach out to PCN um, as well to talk about uh, Payla in a bit more uh, detail. And Roberto, thanks for being on the show and for sharing your insights into Binary Payla to hear a bit more about Payla um, and a bit more about where you're going to take it next. Thank you for checking in with FinTech. If you enjoyed this week's episode, subscribe, like, and leave us a comment below. We'll be having more industry leaders next week. Tune in next week for more. Thanks for listening. And we'd like to leave you with a more serious message from our partner, Free Your Girl, who are dedicated to founding child prostitution and impunity all over the world. Hi, I'm Eveline, CEO and founder of Free Your Girl. Every day, two million children, especially girls, are being held captive worldwide. They are locked up and exploited in brothels, dance bars, or online, forced into sexual exploitation. Their freedom is taken away, together with their youth, family, and future. We are dedicated to fight sexual exploitation of children by rescuing these girls. Please join us, unlock their freedom and unlock your potential by becoming a business partner. Please visit freegirl.com for more information. Thank you.